Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Red Men Weekly podcast. The Hall here, bringing you some of the best clips from all of our Red Men Plus content from the last week. As always, just letting you guys know, every show you're about to hear a clip from is available in full either in video format on redmenplus.com or you can get it into your native podcasting app as well. Simply head on over to redmenplus.com and sign up. If you do so as a yearly club captain and use the code YEAR on the payment screen, Y-E-A-R, instead of paying £50 for the season, or for the year rather, you'll pay just £25. So 12 months at 25 quid, absolute bargain. Even my maths just says that's a little bit over two quid a month for hours and hours and hours of content each and every week. It's an absolute bargain. Go and get yourselves involved right then. Speaking of Red Men Plus, the first show I'm going to bring you from there today is the final word show. Yes, Liverpool beat Leicester City 3-0 at the King Power Stadium. Steve Plunkett hosted Ian Young and myself to have a big old chat about Leicester nil, Liverpool 3. Where is the ceiling for this guy? This is a good segue to talk about the Scousers in the team. Both of them have got ridiculously high ceilings. We really don't know where Curtis Jones's career ends up. Self, if self-confidence is a measure of that, he's going to be a weldy. I mean, that's a bold statement, but no one else is going to do it for him. He has to find that from within himself, and he's got that in abundance. With regards to Trent, I've seen a lot of centre midfielders across Liverpool over the years. It's just different to what we've had before. He is controlling games of football. He's involved in absolutely everything. That leads me to the point you said about he's, you know, he's, he's not th- overthinking things. He's relaxed. He's in the game. He is constantly involved in everything Liverpool do, everything. I suspect if Thiago was playing, Thiago would be looking to give the ball to Trent because of what he's doing at the moment. What a reference that is. What a, what a glowing endorsement that is that, that the whole team is looking for you. You are a right-back who's kind of stepped back into a position you grew up playing in as a kid. So it's not completely alien to him. But he's running games of football, Ian, and, and he's only going to get better. The question in, in the studio last night was, Gareth Southgate was at the game. What does he do with him? Because he's miles down the list in terms of getting in as a right-back. Jamie Carragher made the point, stop thinking of him as a right-back. Because beyond Rice and Bellingham, England are full of centre midfielders. Well, now we've got one that I would say is as good as anything I've seen from them in recent weeks. When Trent had his best seasons at right back, he was running. He could run a game from right back. He grab a grab the game by the scruff of the neck and he'd get a game going. So it's no surprise to me that he's doing that from the centre of midfield. There's no surprise to me whatsoever. I was one of the ones when people were saying should we put Trent in midfield. The system we were playing before this one, he'd have to defend more than what he would if he was playing right back. In this system, he doesn't need to defend as much as what he would have had to if he'd have played that role as a proper sitting defensive midfielder. So, like Steve said before, we're getting the best out of him now. If Gareth Southgate can find a system where that works, then he walks into that. He should walk that England team anyway. I'm sorry, he should be. He should, but I, I still don't think he's an, a midfielder. I don't think I don't think you just play him in a, in a three man midfield. I think the fact that it is this, yeah. this this role where he can do anything. If you put him in midfield, he's he's kind of inhibited. He has to he has yeah. to fill a role. In this role, he, he doesn't. He can go where he wants because if he goes over, if he goes to the left, well, he's got Henderson's over there, and and, and everyone knows if he's just starting in, in a midfield, a two three, he has to be there all the time. What Liverpool have done, they've built a system where it's it's in the I don't know what I'm trying to think the right phrase. Like it doesn't matter where he is. Yeah. 
ultimately we press, we work hard. And it's built it for him, haven't they? Yeah, he, he, and it's perfect. They've, 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 they've affected, that's what exactly what they've done. The pool have changed, they've made, they've, they've changed the lad jobs of 10 different fellas to make Trent, you know, to make Trent shine. But by making Trent shine, it makes Jones shine, it makes Gakpo shine, it makes Salah shine, he gets more of the ball. Canate has got, rather than being pinned up against centre-half, he's got all that freedom to use his big athletic gifts that he's got. And, and he can use his pace and it, 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 it's almost making everyone look a bit better and that's what it just I don't think I would ever say go and just start tense as a centre mid because maybe in a 4-2-3-1 if he's next to Fabinho perhaps but then he has only then got one in front of him yeah. he hasn't got the two lads doing all his running so all that running that Curtis Jones and Henderson are doing he'd be doing that so he wouldn't be getting the ball as often because he'd be the one having to chase shadows and, and get the press going then what happens is what works really well is that Jones and Hendo and Gakpo, they go and press, the team give it away, Fabinho gives it to Trent, and Trent's in space. That's how this all works. If Trent's the one doing all that legging about, Fabinho's like, oh, fuck. You that's, know what I mean? That's really interesting, because Manchester City play in a way where they everything they do is to create time and space for Kevin De Bruyne to play the killer ball. Yep. We're doing the same thing. Yep. What is really interesting for me, and I take your point with England, you just couldn't put him in midfield. It was something Jamie Carragher said, and I wanted to get your opinion on it, um, is that, Currently, how things are is we're now facing up teams and we're saying in front of our back three, we've got seven players. You don't know how to deal with those seven players because they're, they're fluid, they interchange. Curtis Jones does whatever Curtis Jones feels he wants to do because he's got the remit to be brave and roam. Trent Alexander, as you quite rightly said, often appears on the left-hand side. How do you deal with that? You can't go man for man because you're pulling people all over the place. It's kind of like he's looked at what City have done with, with Stones, looked at what Arsenal have done with Zinchenko to a degree, and then gone, actually, my guy doing this job is a whole lot better than your two guys you're going to put in there. And that's not discrediting John Stones, who's a brilliant footballer. Let's not, let's not get that twisted. He is absolutely superb. But he can't do what Trent can do. So we're now, like Steve says, we're now building. We've looked at Trent and said, that's your man. That's your Steven Gerrard type character. That's your iconic, talismanic player that is going to be the future of this football club. He's 24 years old. He can, he's got the intelligence to do this for 10 years. Do you know what? Let's tear it all up. Let's let's look differently. And I think this is this is in, in, interesting for me because a lot of social media at the moment is saying, why have we stopped talking about a six? Because you don't need a six in the system because you've got two guys sitting there alongside each other when Trent's in midfield. So that stops the need to have one specialist number six. Fab looks really good at the moment because when he's got time and space, he can use a ball the chip over the top for the Mane goal against Man United is evidence he can play football. This is totally built around. They are Trent. Go and go and go and do your thing. Yeah, because Trent is that good as well. He's one. Of, he's one of them players that when he's playing well, he makes other players around him good. He makes other players better. Luis Suarez is exactly the same. How many players did he look better than they've ever looked before? Because of how good he was. When Trent Alexander is on, is on song, he makes the players around him look so much better. And that's why building a system around a player like that works and benefits the whole team and not just that one player. So it's off the back of the third goal, Steve. We get the longest and the best rendition of C. Senor you'll ever hear in your life. Yeah, it was class, yeah. 15 minutes of, and the camera kept going to Bobby and he's smiling. Saturday's going to be a tearful one for everyone, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's, it's, I hope he's fit. I think yeah, Jürgen right. half referenced that he, he probably will be. Um, Get him on the pitch. Um, we have to find the James Milner song maybe as well before then. I think it might be too late. But he, he deserves it as well. But you're right. It was that was. But the, Liverpool earned that by the game. 100%. Because if that's a nervy one all or you know a tense one, you can't. Everyone's on edge and that. Basically, I was speaking to Chloe before. She was there. It was it was party time and why not? It's a, it's a great song. He's a legend. He deserves it. All of it. But beat Liverpool. Liverpool. Liverpool's players gave Liverpool's fans the right to enjoy the last. 15, 20 minutes of that game without anything. No stress, no dramas. Not, you know, it's not 1-0 like it was against Fulham or Brentford or this top this mad Tottenham game. It was complete control. It was from from, from like you say, from the second goal onwards, really. Liverpool were, were always going to win that game less than given the ghost up and, and you know living to fight another day. So it was it was party time. It was again, I was on the watch on, but we did we we even we had this we put a bit of sound on the TV just so we could hear it. And it was relentless, it was non-stop, it was fun. That when you go away and you just completely own a team and just dominate them from start to finish, especially Leicester, they were horrible. It's 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 yeah. it's an absolute bonus, isn't it? And it was it was brilliant. It's, you're right with me. You know, got he's got two games left now. I hope he can he can feature in both of them at some point. But yeah, you're right. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tier. It was almost tier jerk now. If anyone hasn't seen it, it's on our YouTube. I think like over eighty thousand people have already watched yeah. it. Just two minutes. I, I just had the final whistle. 
of just him coming over to the crowd to say thank you. Imagine how he feels after that. He's not even on the pitch, and and he's getting that. It's it, it is incredible. It's just it's a it's an it's, no, it's a fitting tribute to what was a wonderful. Stick player. him on the pitch in the kit for ninety seconds at the end of the Villa game just so he can get his plaudits. Is how I see that. Um, Ian, I'll come to you on. This is a thing that's reoccurring in recent weeks. About seventy minutes, we start making changes. From that seventy minutes onwards, we lose all semblance of shape and cohesion. For me, it's it's not working. I, I don't know whether that's Plan B to, to to look at that in the summer because we we we're not. I don't think we're managing games particularly well. We're putting bodies on the pitch to give the players who've been there a rest. I, I for seventy minutes to, to ninety minutes, I don't remember much about the game from a footballing perspective because I just think we lose all of our cohesion. Carvalho comes on, makes a headless chicken run into the box and gives the ball straight to the keeper with a heavy touch. Elliot comes on a few few nice little bits and pieces. Milner comes on to do what Milner does, which is to talk and manage out the games. But we're not a goal threat when we make these changes for me. And I, that, if, if there's a small concern from recent weeks, and it's being hypercritical because when you've won seven games and not lost in nine, um, it is hypercritical. It is the next thing we need to look at for me is how we sustain a goal threat when we make the changes. You have better players on the pit, on the on the bench, don't you? Yeah, we just didn't have that. I, just, I think the lack of Nunes yesterday, as much as his performance went a bit patchy, to say it late, I think he has a different threat when he comes on, doesn't he? So when Jota comes on, I thought Jota looked okay when he came on. I just don't think the changes were necessarily needed. I think they were just more there to give people a few minutes in the legs. Saving legs as well. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Legs, it's been yeah. a long season. Right then, thanks very much to Steve for hosting that one. It was nice actually being a guest on one of the shows for once. I haven't done that for a while. Right then, moving on to the Bias Football Podcast. Yeah, this week it was Paul Machen, Chris Pajak, it was Chloe Bloxham and Steve Plunkett. Yeah, sometimes it's nice to talk about other teams who aren't the Reds and have a little look what's going on elsewhere and that's exactly what that amazing quartet did. Let's jump back on the relegation stuff. Mentioned there, Forrest's got a point against Chelsea. Um, yeah, it, it's it's... Weird to look at the the league table, which I, I'll, I'll get up again. The and how it changed. Leicester, I thought the real vibes after our game against them, Chris, the way that they, all the commentary team were talking about them, blah blah blah. Everyone's got that sinking feel with Leicester. They look once we got the the first goal, they completely and utterly crumbled. The fans, the fans were were, were emptying out all that kind of stuff, as Chloe pointed out before. Leeds, you can see a little bit of, you know, we talk about that Sam Allardyce might be able to juice them up a touch. They score goals, they can see goals, they've got the worst defence in the league, Leeds, but the fact is they do score goals and he does make teams defend. Forrest just seem, Forrest don't score goals and concede loads and are somehow three points outside the relegation zone at this point. It's, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. Uh, I, I'm with Chloe though. I, I do think that the bottom three today are the bottom three at the end of the season. Um, I actually, I actually think Evan have got enough points as it stands to stay up. Wow, a point outside of the relegation zone. I don't think the others are getting any more play. points. So Leeds United's final two games of the season, as mentioned, West Ham away, yeah. Tottenham at home. Yeah, Harry Kane's big send-off. Uh, and just even though we all saying we think Leicester are down, even though there's only two points behind, yeah. they have got Newcastle on Monday Night Football, yeah. West Ham at home. Yeah. Um, I don't know where, what the fuck is Liverpool? Okay, it's fine. Um, Singapore. Oh, Singapore game, right. Why the fuck are they putting that in the fix list? Weirdo. Um, yeah, Leicester are Leicester, fucked there, aren't they? <laughs> um, although, again, West Ham might have one eye on a potential Conference League final. That's something to think about. Back on Rice Big send off. There is one thing about that. <laughs> we, we talked, I know. When we talked about the Man United stuff, I didn't mention that. You know, they played Fulham last game of the season, albeit at home, but that's like less than a week until the FA Cup final off the off the back of that you know there's just something I'm Fulham I am kicking seven shades of shade I'll, I'll, oh, yeah. I'm kicking them all over Old Trafford 100% Mitrovic throwing elbows on their one fit centre half would be absolutely magical um, and the Ev uh, have the, we, <laughs> they've, we've, they've got Wolves away and Bournemouth at mm. home now we talk they about this they have to win against Wolves they yeah. have to win against Wolves we said this a, a week ago two weeks ago if they could get to those final two games and not be dead, then they should probably stay up. They're the pictures, the fixtures you would cherry pick of the other ones down there. Let me just do Forest as well, actually. Even though I do think, I think you're right. I think Forest are probably too far. Forest have got Arsenal at home and Crystal Palace away. Not winning them. 
I don't know. I actually weirdly fancy them against Arsenal, believe it or not. <laughs> I think the bubble's best with Arsenal, hasn't it? They can't be caught. They're, they're sitting there doing their own heads in because they've got four points in the game in hand behind City could win it the next game. So it could be like, uh, fuck it. You know what I mean? We'll just we'll just go through the motions because we're we're safe in second place and we feel sorry for ourselves and we'll go to Nottingham Forest and they've got something to play for and we haven't and and you, you just never know. Who plays first in that title race? Is it City? City. Uh, if City could get it done before Arsenal play, I'd appreciate it. So City obviously got Champions League midweek. They've got Chelsea on Sunday at oh, four o'clock. God and then sake. Arsenal play uh, Nottingham Forest on Saturday at half five. So, but that will that again that will make yeah, it. They'll, have, they'll be a point behind, but have City will have two games in hand at that point. Um, the can just we have, I wasn't really going to talk about the title race because it's just become so boring. criminally boring because of Manchester City. Um, Points I've been trying to make on this for, for a few weeks. The best thing that could happen to Arsenal for me, which sounds so counterintuitive, is to lose the last couple of games of the season. And just have City rack up a big old lead because it, it restoring the status quo. I, I think actually helps them a bit next season. It takes the pressure off them a little bit instead of it. Instead of you've got to you've got to bridge a one point gap, having to bridge an eleven point gap or whatever instead is a is a much better. I think weirder. It's a less yeah, pressure filled target. Exactly. The media stop talking about you like you're a title challenger because they've just spent the last six weeks selling everybody that they're not a title challenger and it wasn't really a title race in the end. Um, so I agree with you on that point. I think it's really a shoot point, actually. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, I don't know I don't know where Arsenal go from here, to be honest with you. Um, I Like, their performance against Newcastle I thought was brilliant. Like, we watched it in yours, didn't we? Um, I thought they were brilliant. And then, obviously, getting absolutely humped at the weekend... Are there still those Arsenal insecurities in the performances? Um, I think I think they think next season we're going to be their biggest challenger for second. I, I don't think they're ready for a title run yet. I think their body language is just horrific. After everything that's, that's came their way and not gone their way for whatever reason, any result that has not been a win... They've seen it as a negative. And yeah, okay, it is. But let the fans think that. You internally cannot think that. You've got to feed off any positivity you can get. Otherwise, your steam runs out. You've got to find things to keep you uplifted in a title race. Because Liverpool, literally, like you mentioned, lost a one game all season and didn't win the league. If we'd have mentally criticised ourselves for every single draw we'd got and the fans did but they're allowed to they're they're outside yeah but inside as it was going on you had to think it's Old Trafford it's away okay it's this it's this okay we're still and that's what you've got to do there is them lying on the pitch of our six weeks ago after a draw what are you doing yeah that's sending a message to Manchester City and it's sending a message to the rest of the Premier League this is know-how and this is what you've got to do this to get to the point where you can go to the next step where so we miss out on two big trophies by a final and one point. And what does Klopp do? He turns around to the team and says, I need 5% more from you to get you over the line and they deliver. Or you do what Pochettino does, which is cry at every press conference because you didn't get £300 million to spend. Chuck your toys out the pram and then you get then you get sacked off. There's, there's differences with this and, and this is the big acid test for Arsenal. They will either gain resolve and come again and be stronger for, for the experiences of this year or they'll just turn into another Pochettino. I think... They've got the strength in the club to recruit properly mm. and make themselves a bit of a force for the next four or five years. They'll be in and around it. They're always a good draw, aren't they, Arsenal? Them being in London and having that 20, was it four years of Champions League football? They've just got a massive fan base. Everyone respects them. The always known for playing good football, kind yeah. of doing it the right way. Young, progressive manager in charge. Exciting front three, exciting team. <laughs> Doing things tactically a bit different to others, they're going to be a massive draw. They're they're in that awkward position of a couple of things where you're right. That experience you've got to have that experience of getting over the line. They've got a boss eleven. There's a couple of they're lucky in so much as there's a couple of really obviously upgradable positions. Shaq is very upgradable. The second centre half maybe is upgradable, but they're also in that struggling position where you 
maybe buying Trossard's probably all right because you, I don't. You, Martinelli's young and Saka's young it's and Jesus is young. For them yeah. at the time for a January signing where you yeah. can play across all front three positions. But if they need more in the summer, it becomes a harder sell because who you, who, who, where, where are you playing? You know what I mean? Who, who, that's it. They've got a lot of that eleven established already that are good enough. But you then are you improving your eleven or you're buying squad players and that's where they've got to balance that. The thing they've got, I thought you really interesting points about that. You know, you just mentioned there about how their body language and reacting to it. That's just experience. Don't let them know you're upset. Yeah. I always think like stupid example, but I remember that the older you get, the more capable you become of just dealing with disappointments and and, and moreover not showing it. And I think about like you look at like Instagram now. You get some of these people who are like the the young people, and something goes wrong for them, like get a bad haircut, and they just they're freaking out. I remember my mum, dad's mates going on like a BBC style challenge. It was called I think it was called the style challenge, and she got a, the mum got a makeover, and at the end you don't get to see it, and they turn the mirror around. And, it, and and she just went, and we watched and went, she fucking hates this. But you'd never know because you don't go on telly and freak out and let everyone know and embarrass yourself by by letting the world know how much you hurt. No, you're, you're old, you're experienced, you push that down inside and you take that out up when, when no one else is looking. And Man City are that. Man City are like, they face the disappointments and they're like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll handle this. Was Arsenal like freaking out and having panic attacks and fucking you just, going around you just on the floor and stuff. Who's that young blonde girl who died recently who did Big Brother years ago Jesus freaked out Christ. in the diary room? Jade. No, no. The, the other one. Nicola McLean. No. No. no she, I know she, you mean. And she freaked out in the diary room about something. Oh, no, it's I know exactly what you mean. I can see it now. Nicky yeah. Graham. Yes, that's it. Uh, yeah, there you go. Sometimes you just got to internalise that shit. And Arsenal are very much of the internet generation where there's value in showing everyone how upset you are. That's what I... It's, it's Arsenal in, in a nutshell. They they need to demonstrate to their fan base how upset they are. It's like how people... like It's like performative anger on social media. That's what Arsenal are as a club. Like why I think Oxley chamberlain suffers at times because when he makes a mistake, he doesn't just get on with it. He has to let everyone know that he's upset with the mistake that he's made should the people know that he cares and he didn't want to fuck it up and stuff. Like, just shut up and get on with it, mate. It's fine. Arsenal, uh, I've got that to overcome in a big time and a big way next season. Do we want to know what the percentages are this season? The uh, 538 predictions? <sighs> yeah, go on. Should we start at the bottom? Yeah. Southampton, done, relegated, tick, we knew that. Leicester, 86% chance of relegation right now. Leeds United, 64. How is it that big of a jump? It's wild, isn't it? Everton, uh, 26%. And Nottingham Forest, 24%. It was all, Leicester was so comfortable up until going at that game against yeah. Everton. And we said that's meant to, that's make or break for either side and throwing that chance away. Has absolutely killed. He could have gone three one up, couldn't he? Just before that, um... Dean Smith looks so far out of his comfort zone in that in that job. But you look at Sam Allardyce just walk, rock around. Too late for me to do anything. If it goes wrong, no one cares. On a positive note, how good is it? See John Terry looking like boiled shite at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely magical. Uh... Up the top. <laughs> Liverpool up to a 37% chance of Champions League. Oh, Sorry, what? 37. 37. It's not, it's not Brighton good enough, Brighton down though. to just 2%. We've absolutely snuffed well, that out. Well Brighton. It's just I've still... made some terrible fucking bets on a 35% fucking chance of it. Like. Yeah. But I think that then jinxes it. I can't bet on footy. I never bet on Liverpool. Like I never that. bet on Liverpool. Apart from stupid things, like that things that are above and beyond, like... Like most Salah being top goal scorers, it has always been an easy one. Although the money in that has diminished greatly yeah. over the years, he'll be back next season. By by, uh, I'll be a big one. one. Um, I mean, it's, you may as well throw the money on the floor. Navi Keita, <laughs> ten goal, ten Premier League goals has been doing me in for five seasons on the bounce. I'm sorry, about seventeen thousand to one. He doesn't even play ten games, does he? <laughs> no, yeah, uh, yeah. Newcastle and Man United both in an eighty-one percent chance. So Liverpool are very much outsiders for top four, just the way we like it. <laughs> Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Thanks very much to Paul and the guys for that one. Hope you've enjoyed that. Right, next up then, Liverpool were linked with a move for Southampton midfielder Romeo Lavia earlier this week. And to get the lowdown, exactly what's happening with that transfer. And is it going to happen? Is it not? Etc. Etc. Dan Club invited Belgian journalist Sasha Tavaleri onto the show to talk all about the 19-year-old wonder kid. And I think his age actually really suits Liverpool at the moment because we are in need of midfield reinforcements. And like I said myself, Fabinho has been better recently, so maybe we don't need somebody to replace Fabinho, but we need somebody younger who can replace him in the future and can also give him some minutes off. And I think Stefan Bajetic could do that a little bit next season, but I think someone like Lavia would actually make a lot of sense in that sense. Um, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Liverpool made contact um, regarding Lavia and the interest was concrete. How far did those talks go? And in terms of Liverpool's list, because Liverpool's list of targets is quite long. How high up would you put him on that list? I, I guess that as number six, he's pretty the the most closest to the list uh, because um, the people say, okay, it's a midfield, and we have uh, we are targeting a lot of midfields and midfielders, and uh, and this is this is something true. But at this position, there is not a lot of players that can compete with him. And um, you and Liverpool board also know him. And you know, during the transfer window in England, in England, there is something really clear: is that when big clubs are on the player, other big clubs want to get him. You know, so it's a bit also a fight, a, a political type of fight. You know, influential type of fight, and it's um, it's making the, the the valuation of the player also growing. And also in the mind of the board, so they say, okay, if Manchester United, Arsenal, and Chelsea wants to get him or are interested in him, we should maybe give all what we have to do. So we lose the fight with Bellingham. We are fighting, and we know that we it will be really tough with Brighton to get McAllister. So let's uh, let, let, let's give also all what we can have on that kind of player that can signify the future. What's, what's good and what's really, what can really be the good point and the most important thing for Lavia is that he can be a priority of a new project that is building with Liverpool. Everybody knows that next year it will start something new. It's not the case on Manchester United. It's not the case on Arsenal that are continuing on a new project, but it's not... Um, you know, there is not something that uh, it's breaking and then we go back on something new, you know. So it, for Chelsea, it uh, it's a mess. No one wants to go in Chelsea. I spoke with international players. They say, I will never go to Chelsea because there is no visibility on the project. So uh, I guess Liverpool is the most um, clear project for the moment for Lavia. And that's why, for me, they are number one. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Liverpool have actually had a lot of success in the transfer market buying players who have been recently relegated, Andy Robertson, Gini Wijnaldum in the past. How high, you've spoken, so you give a lot of praise to Lavia, how high do you think his ceiling is? You mentioned he's already played for Belgium, he's only 19, he's played a lot in the Premier League. How good can this player be? And also, in terms of a Jurgen Klopp side and this current Liverpool team, is he a good fit for what we're trying to do? Yes, what's really interesting in him, and you can you can really uh, remark it when when you when you see um, his um, his type of uh, play uh, and his type of game, surely on the pitch, um, 
he's not he's directly giving the ball forward you know so he's not thinking about okay let's take the ball giving passing to my defender or passing to someone who is at the same level the same position as me no no he directly think about how to go straight to the goal and this is really the club mentality and that's also why club really loves him because he's able to to make a proper work he's not a butcher you know he's something really someone sorry who really wants to make the things as the most proper possible but he's always thinking about how the game can be more far now with me and this is also the fact and the way uh, liverpool's old staff and club loves him he loves him because he thinks that he, that there there doesn't exist i didn't see other type of players than romeo lavia in that register in premier league being really proper giving the ball quickly uh, forward and playing uh, on on the side of the the game and on the philosophy of of the game of of Liverpool. So being the more offensive and the more quick as possible, straight away to the goal. And uh, that's why I guess he's uh, for me the, the the perfect profile as defensive midfielder for uh, the Reds. Yeah, absolutely. I've been really impressed with what I've seen, especially, like I said earlier, in a team that has struggled so much. It can be hard for someone so young in a team that is essentially getting beat almost every week. They haven't picked up a lot of points, but he has been one bright spark from their season. And like you said earlier, it does feel as though he will remain in the Premier League. If anything, he should be looking to take a step up the Premier League, not drop to the Championship. So it's an interesting one. And just finally, Sasha... You've already said he will leave Southampton this summer. That's pretty much inevitable. As things stand, you've mentioned a minute ago that Liverpool is sort of number one in the race. Where do you think he will end up after this summer? <laughs> uh, that's that. I'm I'm not uh, Mrs. Irma, you know. I'm not giving the future, but uh, I I can I can guess that um, I can guess that uh, it could be it could be at. Uh, 60% uh, Liverpool uh, because we we don't know for the moment uh, for the moment there is no and it's important also to signify it because it's not buzzing for making buzz you know it's always telling telling to people what's going on now there is there hasn't been any offer from Liverpool for the moment so everyone is really it's and it's important also to know it for the moment uh, we are speaking about the seducing part of the trusting window. It's really the seducing moment when everyone knows a bit where they want to go, what they want to do, and they are preparing a bit all the weapons to go, uh, of course, for July. So for the moment, no offers from Liverpool, that's a certitude. But the project is the one who is most conv the most convening uh, to um, to Lavia. And also, and that's why I think it will be uh, Liverpool, um, it's also uh, the way uh, for uh, for Southampton to get a lot of money. We know that the relation between Southampton and Liverpool is really really good. Before uh, there has been deals between the two the two clubs, and they they are uh, used to uh, make a, a lot of relation uh, during the the transfer windows. Um, we can speak about money, but there are other cases. Yeah. Huh? There is not a an exception. Money is not an exception. They are used to speak together during the transfer window. Mm -hmm. So for me, Liverpool is uh, is the the best could be the best choice for the player and could be also the 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 best opportunity for selling them at the highest price for Southampton. So let's say sixty percent Liverpool. Yeah, I'll take that. Um, and I hope you're right as well, because you are right. Liverpool have done a lot of business with Southampton down the years. You mentioned one there, but there's Adam Lallana, Dejan Lovren. We've done a lot. Vicky Lambert previously as well. We've done a lot of business with them. So it's a fascinating one to watch. Um, I hope Liverpool are an attractive proposition for someone like Lavia, because as you say, very young, very talented, the type of player we should probably be looking at. And hopefully something does happen there. Cheers, Dan. Cheers, Sasha, for that one. You had a very exciting player. Is he going to end up at Liverpool? We'll find out in due course. Right then, speaking of players who may or may not, hopefully may, end up as Liverpool players, it's time for a clip from Jano Insight. Just the day before I had Neil into the show, he'd done me a big old favour by writing an article on Gold.com all about Alexis McAllister, saying that the Brighton midfielder is keen on a move to Merseyside. Well, absolute bonus for me because that wrote half my agenda for the show so yeah here's me asking Neil Jones about the Argentinian World Cup winner 
let's talk transfers then. And like I say, I said this off before as well. Neil boxed me off by putting this story up yesterday, so I can ask him about it. If you head over to goal.com, you'll see Neil wrote yesterday. It's, it's a big piece about Liverpool, Brighton midfielders. Um, Liverpool won Alexis McAllister, but we just say that was the Brighton midfielder who would really transform Jürgen Klopp's side. I'll speak to you that opinion part of it in a second, but I think the thing that people started tweeting me, and I got about 20 messages to ask you about this, from various people, the Discord went wild, including Josh Hall. Who, happy birthday to Josh, by the way, it's his birthday today. Is it? Yeah. Do you know Insight Legends? Yeah, happy birthday to Josh. He, um, loads of these messages. Anyway, when you said um, that it's understood that Alexis McAllister's keen on a move to Merseyside, because it was, that came not long because there was reports from the Athletic, it was bright, who were saying he's keen on Champions League footy. And I suppose you've got a, <laughs> you, you, well, you put a lot of smile on people's faces, really, with that one, because that was kind of... No, I don't think anyone else actually wrote that anywhere, really. There's been lots of reporting, Neil, about Liverpool wanting him, but it was, does he fancy Liverpool? But it, it seems to feel yeah. like... You, you, well, you've written down that you, you believe that he is. Yeah, he, well, yeah, he is. I mean... His, his, Please carry on, Mark, that can't be the end of the Well, day. I mean, it, yeah, it can be. I mean, it can be both, can't it? I mean, Champions League football is still on the agenda as well, but I think if you listen to Jürgen last week, he said... <laughs> I don't get in front of players much, which, okay, we'll see. But he said, when I do, I very rarely get a player saying to me, yeah, I'm keen as mustard, but by the way, you have to be in the Champions League, you know. And he's made that that comment before about pushing the train and being part of the journey and all those kind of things. But Liverpool would not be having him on their list of targets if Alexis McAllister only wanted to join a Champions League club. It's it's just they would not do it. They 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 would that would be the first thing. It it would actually they would actually withdraw from the race themselves if if that was the case because they would say, Well all right then, see you later. That's 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 the way they, they operate, you know. It would not have got to the stage where right, we're we're in we're in the race for, for him. So and his his father was obviously at a game earlier this season. I think there's there's obviously it's not just a desire to play Champions League football, it's a desire to play for a Champions League club. And Liverpool, even if they're not in the Champions League next season, they are a Champions League club, level club. So that that possibility is definitely up there. Um, I think the biggest question is the money, is, is around, you know, what is he, what's he going to cost? There was a story, obviously, about £70 million at the weekend. I spoke to people at Liverpool who were like, well, it's just not... It's not really agreed you know that's not really a, a figure that's sort of been ironed out Brighton in a position where again we, we spoke about it a few times they don't necessarily have to sell I think there was a story from David Ornstein about um, a mechanism as opposed to a clause that may be able excuse me may be able to help get McAllister out of Brighton in the summer but not necessarily one when it's like right you, you pay that much and he's gone I think so. It's going to be difficult to, to sort of to get anyone out of Brighton, and I think it comes down to what's what's the the overall package going to cost. You know, if it, I think if you're talking sort of a hundred million pound for Alexis McAllister, I don't think Liverpool are there. I don't think anyone's there personally. Um, so what can you get them for? You know, is it closer to sort of sixty, sixty five million? I think Liverpool would be there. Um, I think this. I think there's going to be developments on, on that in the next few weeks. Definitely. Well, of course, there is going to be developments on it in the next few weeks. But I think. I think this sort of by the end of this month, I think we'll be in a pretty clear position of where he's going and how how sort of close Liverpool are to, to getting this deal done. But I think he is. I think he is a player that's right at the top of Liverpool's list now, in terms of it. And I can see why. I know we'll come on to talk about the piece yesterday, which is my my belief. That's just an opinion. That headline of mine. But um, I can see also why Liverpool would want McAllister because he keeps the ball well, he he scores goals, he creates goals, he's set-piece excellent. He's a player who's used to winning and he's a player who's used to having a lot of the ball, a lot of pressure around it and also used to playing in a team that's sort of on the front foot an awful lot as well. So I think he he, he would be a good fit, definitely. I suppose you also right here that uh, Jurgen Klopp has believed to have received the glowing feedback on his character and training habits from Adam Lallana. Yeah. Obviously, who's a, who's played, who Jurgen knows well, obviously. Um, first of all, Jurgen's not having those conversations. I mean, that, that, there's, there's the red light that they're interested in him. Why is Jurgen phoning Adam Lallana up for or whatever? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean to be fair, that, that could 
that could be incidental conversations in the sense of, you know, yeah, I think Jürgen speaks to Adam Lallana a lot, just generally. And, and you know, that could be just passed on as, oh, this McAllister's a great, great lad, you know, whatever. But yeah, they, that, that reference will not go on those. You know, I think that, that that's worth more than a sort of, almost worth more than a scout's report on, you know, oh, he had a good game against Manchester United or he was brilliant against Arsenal on Sunday. You know, that's that's the kind of stuff that he wants to know. You know, what's he like in training? I, I don't know. I don't know what the feedback mate, necessarily is off Caicedo, potentially, you know, I know he had a little bit of a, a set two at the club, didn't he, towards the back end. Of, he was told to stay away. Whether that counts against him in, in any kind of sort of um, character reference, possibly not. I mean, Virgil van Dijk had something similar, didn't he, I think, at Southampton, where, you know, it didn't put Liverpool off signing him. Um, but yeah, I think I think, I think think Jürgen values someone like Lallana, who, who, who knows the Liverpool character, you know, if you if Adam Lallana said, "Oh, he could play, he could play in that Liverpool squad, he'd fit in." I think that would it's worth its weight in gold, isn't it? Yeah. You know, for for someone like Liverpool, and I believe, not necessarily that's exactly what's been said, but I think that's the sort of tone that's been said that, you know, if you're thinking, if you're wavering on McAllister, I'd say yes, I'd say yes, he can, he can go and play for this team. Never mind in terms of his ability, but in terms of his character as well, you know, he, he would he would enhance your, your, your squad and your, your personality within the squad. I mean, it's, it doesn't take a genius to work that out, does it? He's gone into the Argentina side and and, and made them a, a you know a much sort of more coherent and closer team. And he's obviously very popular among that. He's had a big impact at Brighton. I believe you know his English has come on well. I think his girlfriend was a fluent English speaker when he came over, and now he's sort of in that position as well. So I think it's um, there's a lot of positives around around McAllister as a player, as a person. And as a potential signing, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just going to end on this one. Right? And for now, and then we'll talk about the Casado stuff, which is your your opinion part of it. But you say McCallis is the one they want, and he's the one they think they can get. Um, even like so, it sounds like there's a bit of confidence around this one. Like for example, when we when we've sat here in the past about Bellingham or Shumani, it's been the hopeful, or you know, yeah. you, but this one, do you think they can get him? Is that a different tone compared to those two deals, perhaps? Or possibly, too much yeah, that? possibly. I mean, the, he's not as big. Name a player, is he? Yeah. You know, albeit he's a World Cup winner and he's a very good player, but he's not. I don't think you're talking about competing against Real Madrid and Manchester City for Alexis McAllister, for example. So that that instantly sort of knocks a, yeah. a a layer off in terms of your confidence. You know, in terms of whether you, you think you can get him. That I think the the money, the fact the fact that he's coming from a club like Brighton is more in in line with Liverpool's recruitment policy anyway, isn't he? You know, in terms of he's coming from a certain level and and. and he sees Liverpool as that step up, yeah. as opposed to listen, Bellingham sees Liverpool would see Liverpool as a step up. But when you've got Real Madrid and you've got Manchester City, you know there's a few step ups you can take. There's going to be a lot of midfielders moving this summer, isn't there? Clearly, the story is already coming. You know, gathering pace around Arsenal, Declan Rice. The story is going to develop about Bellingham. I think you know there'll be other players, um, Caicedo, another one that. There's going to be a bit of a merry-go-round, I think, of midfielders. Mason Mount, obviously, and another one that we, you know, we've we've spoken about a lot on this show. I think there's a lot of potential sort of jigsaw pieces that can fall into place, and it might depend on who goes where for what um, in terms of money that gets talked about. Um, we're looking at Brighton. I mean, there's another another part of the the, um, the story. There is Brighton. You can see they're already starting to spend money. For, for next season Modahoud is going to come in on, on a free Milner Xiao <laughs> Pedro's come in as a sort of a, a forward you know attack attack minded forward you look at I mean I look at the the, the, the players that they, they're starting to feed into the side now in CISO and, and one and Oche and you're thinking <laughs> they might have found another couple certainly within CISO they, they bought a guy um, a Swedish international in January who hasn't really played a, a Sari or Ayari sorry Um he hasn't yet played. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him in the next couple of games, just to give him a, a bit of a feed into the team. So, it's not a case of Brighton are going to be left high and dry. And what are we going to do for next season? You know, they're already starting to make preparations. I think for McAllister and or Caicedo leaving. The manager spoke about it after the Arsenal game, which, by the way, some performance wasn't it? We're, we're all talking about Manchester City's performance against Real Madrid, and it was fantastic. That that Brighton performance at Arsenal on Sunday was something that. I think made a lot of people go, "Wow, that was that was a serious job." Yeah, I don't. You can't argue. You look at it and you think that is identity, isn't it? That that is identity in a, in a team from a manager. 
Um, and as as a result of that, you know, the 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 um the players within that are gonna get a lot of um a lot of plaudits. But afterwards, he he said, "Then you for sure we're gonna lose some players. Maybe McAllister, maybe Caicedo. I think he name checked Matoma and Estepinan. I think it was those two. As sort of they might need a little bit longer before they're in that position, which is interesting, you know." I probably would say Matoma looks ready for the move this summer. You know, I, I don't you see the video of him where um, he speak a young kid that like a bright yeah. fan event asks him like about Matoma. He goes, "You can get his name on the back of your shirt next year." Or something along those lines. Like, yeah, I you, haven't you seen get, that. Yeah, he says something like, like "Well, you, you know," he, and, he, and he literally says, "Do you get what I mean?" As it basically, yeah, yeah he's, he's, not, going nowhere. he's going nowhere. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's he's very he, he's a, a breakthrough star this season, isn't he? So I'd, potentially, if you were going to spend a big chunk of money on him, you might want to see a little bit more from him. And, be sure that it's not just a, a hot streak, but wow, what a player he looks like. You know, Ben White will be having nightmares, I think, for a few few weeks about about what he what he experienced at his hands or his feet on Sunday. But deserve name check these two players, didn't he? In particular, McAllister and and um, and Caicedo. I think there's an acceptance of Brighton that probably someone's going to cough up the money that they want. The players are probably going to want to leave. Definitely going to want to leave. I think and. There'll be some handshakes and thank you for everything. Go and enjoy the rest of your career. Sure. Watch the space on Alexis McAllister. It sounds like I think he's. I think the general report was he wants to get to the end of the season. He owes Brighton that. They, yeah. They're playing for a lot. They, they yeah. they're not out this top four race and they're very much in the European place race uh, for this Europa League, if, if not conference thing. So, is it does it feel like this one could be one that moves quickly, but it'll wait until the end of the season? Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think. That's been the general. I think Fabrizio Romano reported that that like he's he wants to get the 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 move done quickly. He wants to get his future decided quickly once the once the season's over. So you know, well, we've got ten days before the season's over. As I say, I don't I don't think by the end of May we'll be in much doubt as to at the very least that he's going to leave Brighton and potentially even as well where he's going to end up. Is this, is this Chelsea, is it United to do? I've seen United links for McAllister. I think Chelsea as well. I've been I've been Obviously. linked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean Chelsea got a lot of midfield work to do, haven't they? You know, you think of you've got Kovacic in the last year. You've got Kante as, as it stands out of contract. You've got Mount Gallagher, Loftus Cheek. There's a lot of a lot of midfielders at Chelsea. Who, who does a question mark around? It's probably only Enzo Fernandez, isn't it? Of 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 the sort of the first team clutch that you say, well, yeah, he's definitely going to be part of Chelsea's midfield next season. I mean, there's a midfielder in the dugout <laughs> in terms of, we don't know, you know, he's he's obviously in Frank Lampard that's going to end up sort of away from the club. So there's a lot of change coming at Chelsea. Of course, they're going to be linked with a lot of players. Um, I think McAllister was one that was linked in, in January, maybe, maybe just on the back of the World Cup, potentially, but I think, um, I think they'd... Yeah, they they certainly see him. I mean, if you had Enzo Fernandez and Alexis McAllister, you've got Argentina's midfield, really, haven't you? You know, you're only you're only missing you're only missing Messi, <laughs> and he's available. Yeah, I believe yeah, this yeah. Summer, so don't give Top any ideas. <laughs> that isn't uh, beyond the realms. Thanks very much to Neil for coming in again. And yeah, like I say, absolute Brucey bonus that he put that story out just like a day before. Done me a big old favour. Indeed, made that show a rather simple one to plan. Right then, finally, let's talk deep dive. Let's look at stats. Let's look at tactics. Let's look at analytics and all that good stuff with two of the best in the business, Mr. Chris Pajak and Mr. Josh Williams at Distance Covered. Yeah, let's check out this week's episode of The Deep Dive. And today we are going to be discussing um, the WM formation, a little bit about its history, where it came from, uh, moving through the years and, and, and looking at some of the teams um, that have used the WM formation in possession over the last sort of 10 years, of which there are quite a few, to be honest with you, uh, which I missed at the time. I've uh, done my research now, though, Josh, and I suppose the first thing... Let's explain it for anybody who didn't watch the YouTube show. Why is it called the WM formation? I suppose I better put them into it. Yeah. Do you want me to explain it or? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it's, it's basically because of, of the, the shapes that they form on the pitch. So you've got your attacking bank of five forming a W, and you've got your defensive bank of five forming an M. Um, so there we go. The points of which are yeah. W and an M. Yeah. Um, standard tactical. Variety and there's lots of different ways of doing it, lots of different variations which we're going to touch on. It does go way, way back, um, and and yeah, we're going to go into it now. Yeah. So Herbert Chapman um, 
is sort of regarded as the godfather of the WM formation. Um, he won an FA Cup and two league titles with Arsenal. Um, started using it in like the mid nineteen twenties because of a change in the offside law. Um, and then, funnily enough, randomly. Uh, Patrick Vieira in 2016 started using it for New York City FC. Now, I'm right in saying, aren't I, just that Patrick Vieira was a coach at Manchester City? Yeah. Was there any... When did Pep get there? Was it 2017? Was he a year after Klopp? There'd be um, no crossover there, would there? I think I think there was maybe a slight crossover. I think 2016 onwards is, is when Pep got there. So Pep's first season was 16-17. So there may be a, a touch of maybe a crossover that, maybe there. Maybe a little one, yeah, but I don't think enough to influence this. Interesting, actually. So we got another a, a couple of one. This heavily influenced what is called the Catanaccio um, in Italian football, which was used for a, a couple of decades, really. And the shape was slightly different in that in this formation, you had your two, your three, and your two over there. Do you know what Catanaccio stands for? I've got Italian? no fucking idea, mate. It means doorbelt. Door bolt. Yeah, as in close the door, essentially. So, it, and that, do you know what that's interesting? Because a lot of the stuff that I was reading was saying it was very much regarded as a defensive formation, what we would call like a park the bus formation exactly, nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly it. So then they'd use a sweeper in Italian football. So it's not quite the same. And as I say, it is a derivative of it and an offset midfield and an offset forward three over there, which might be slightly more like that. But that a lot of people have said over the years, this was very much a park-the-box formation. Now, Hungary sort of made this famous, you know, Puskas from the Puskas Award, this unbelievable 1950s Hungary side, regarded almost as the greatest international side ever. Actually didn't win a World Cup, but got very, very close. They got beaten in the World Cup final by West Germany. There was lo loads of stuff that went wrong in the game for them. They actually beat West Germany in the group stages 8-3 at one point during that World Cup. It was the only game that they lost in a decade, the World Cup final. Like, that's, that's devastating, mentally bad luck, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah. um, so their formation was, again, slightly different. But, as I say, heavily influenced by this. Now, theirs was back in the day... I think it was called the WW formation. So on this one, you can see the W's there and the W's there. Now, that's because back in the day, you used to write the team sheet with the goalkeeper at the top, not the bottom. Right. So nowadays, we'd call that an M, M formation. Yeah. So there's a little bit of lore around what it's going to be called, Josh, of course. But <laughs> um, yeah, so that was the, the, the Hungary side from the 50s. Now, I want to talk... A little bit about some of the other sides then. Um, now, first of all, for Arsenal's 1925 side, these positions were slightly different to what we would see today in that for Arsenal, he used three fullbacks, two halfbacks, two inside forwards, a right winger, a left winger and a centre forwards. So the, the use of the three fullbacks was interesting for me. It's almost like that then really, isn't it? You got your inside yeah. forwards and your wingers, which is something that we do nowadays. Mm. We 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 flood the line, don't we, with five bodies? Yeah. Now for Pep Guardiola uh, and his man and his Bayern Munich side, I'll let you talk about this because this one starts off in possession. Because what happened is basically teams were exploiting it out of possession. So nowadays this WM formation has been brought back very much as a sort of in possession thing. Um, so Pep Guardiola for Bayern Munich. I think, yeah, talk us through it. Yeah, well, when Pop, when Pep, <laughs> just, just called him Pop, Christ. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>, Dad. <laughs> I <laughs> wish he was to be honest with me. Me bald Pop. <laughs> yeah. When Pep got to uh, Germany, he was immediately struck by the level of the counter attack uh, compared to Spain. Obviously, you've got lots of transition based stuff going on in Germany. You've got Jurgen Klopp over there and all those kinds of coaches. So straight away, that was kind of on Pep's agenda in terms of dealing with that. So his primary way of doing that was basically occupying the centre, similar to the way Liverpool are at the, at the minute with the 3-2-5 shape in the box in the middle of the park. So the player who was essentially Alexander-Arnold back then was, was Philip Lahm in terms of just being so tactically intelligent, technical, really versatile. And Pep used him as a inverted fullback in a few different ways. I think one of the first ways was, say this is Thomas Muller playing mm -hmm. in a three, Muller would do that, 
line would do that and you'd have your back three shuffle over like that essentially and then you've almost got like a three three four in it in kind of a weird attacking shape um but i think the, the more common way in which he did it unless i'm mistaken like um was basically lamb doing the same as alaba on the opposite side mm -hmm. pep was in a weird position where he basically had two inverted fullbacks on each flank who could both do it to a really really high level they would tuck inside like that alongside um might have been Shabby Alonso. Um, and then you'd have your attacking bank of five further forward. Just kind of like that. Um, no, not like that. Yeah, like that. Um, and that, that's kind of how Pep dealt with the um, the transitions in the Bundesliga. You had this kind of safety net in the centre. Mm -hmm. And it established, I suppose, one of the main genetic principles of, of the WM, really, in that... Five attackers, five defenders. Exactly, but... Also, in the sense that if you look at the five attackers, you're as wide as you can possibly be. If you look at your five defenders, you're as narrow as you can possibly be. So you make the space small for your opponents, and you make it as wide as possible when you're when you're trying to score essentially. And then in latter years, Cruz would drop in. Yeah, to, um, to make in, yeah. that sort of three and use your fullbacks as, as your two, of course. Yeah. Um, Thomas Tuchel did it in a slightly different way. Um, Thomas Tuchel did it in a a three four three formation. Um, so he'd have these guys, we'll start it like that, and you'd say that was a 3-4-3 sound, no problem. Defensively, what they would do um, is they would have that sort of five-man back, um, let's say, you, you know, your, your wing-backs, your Marcus Alonso's, your, your, your Reese James's. Victor Moses. Victor Moses. Um, and what they would do is they would push the... Forwards, forwards. This is Antonio Conte did this as well, actually. Yeah, they that's where I got the Moses from, actually, in a Conte's time. Yeah, well, they well they obviously won the league in 2016-17 with that formation. Mm. Um, and so how they would do it is they would pull the fullbacks all the way up, all the way wide, and bring the wingers inside. Um, and that's how they would achieve that sort of WM formation. So um, there's loads of different sort of ways to do it, which is quite interesting. I'm getting all confused with these counters nowadays, you know. Again, though, what you've just done there with the wing-backs, it, it, it resulted again in a bank of five there it's like just do it now they quickly you've got your bank of five in the final third you've got your bank of five mm -hmm. behind the ball to, to give you the safety net um, so it's it's kind of different ways to achieve the same goal almost really isn't it exactly and then Manchester City obviously very similar to us in the 4-3-3 formation now do you remember that year when they had Fabian Delph yeah and Delph was doing that yeah and that's how they would do it, and they would flood like that. Yeah. So you've got the Bruyne going forwards nowadays. You've obviously got Gundogan. You'd have their wingers providing that width. And again, exactly what you're saying, and, and I think the basics of this is right, five there, five back. Um, so then, I suppose, Josh, for us, Liverpool's 4-3-3 was never really seen as this per se. But in some ways, the basic principles are the same. Yeah. didn't shape up in the WM, Josh, but it did end up in a 5v5 situation. The yeah. one we won the league with, with Tent at right-back. Yeah, well, you had, obviously, Mo Salah out here, tucking inside. You had Roberto Firmino in the centre, just doing what he always does. You had Sadio Mane tucking inside. And then you wanted another two, essentially. And mm -hmm. Klopp, early on, was getting linked with... Well, he, he signed Naby Keita, he signed Oxlade-Chamberlain to potentially do that. But we ended up just through the makeup of the team and the way things shaped up, shaped up with Trent being that player and Robertson being that player. And then you had, basically, there's your safety net. Um, you've got Henderson, the workhorse midfield, if you like. Henderson, Fabinho, Wijnaldum, Virgil and Matip, Gomez, whoever, Lovren. Um, and then there's Liverpool's attacking bank of five there, you know, con constructing whatever whatever shape you want. They're, they're probably the two highest players in terms of Mane and Salah. And then you've had Trent, Robertson and uh, Firmino kind of linking the play. But again, it goes, it goes back to the bank of five there, bank of five there. Thanks to Josh and Chris, another wonderful show. Just to let you go, by the way, um, there's a free version of that deep dive on YouTube and on podcasts each and every week as well. And then there's a second episode over on Red Men Plus. So yeah, like I mentioned at the top of the show, thanks if you're still here listening to me ramble on, but yeah, um, redmenplus.com, 
sign up, yearly club captain, use the code YEAR, get it for 25 quid, go back and listen or watch all those shows, plus the entire back catalogue of stuff we've ever done, including all of our documentaries and features. Spoiler alert, we've got a Bobby Firmino docu-series coming in this summer as well, so if you sign up now, you'll also get access to that. Never been a better time to join us, and for 25 quid a month, a year even, a month would be pretty high, a year, that is an absolute bargain. So yeah, get on over to redmenplus.com, come and join us, and I'll be back next week with another other episodes of Redman Weekly. I'll catch you all next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50-80% to less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.